This is Soccer Weekly. I'm Dave Dunham. What's on tap tonight on Soccer Weekly? Sponsored by Pocock Brewing. Visit PocockBrewing.com to see what's on tap right now in their tasting room. Pocock Brewing Company. Embrace life. Drink good beer. And we thank Pocock Brewing Company for that sponsorship. What is on tap? Jeff Carlisle of ESPN FC joins me. We're talking U.S. men's national team. The mess that is still surrounding that. MLS playoffs are getting closer and closer. Plus, a situation close to my heart with the Columbus crew. Impossible relocation all of that and so much more right now coming up next here on soccer weekly let's go soccer weekly espn la 710 it is the home of world football here in southern california i am dave at home and you are listening to the best soccer show on the planet soccer weekly here as we are each and every week here on espn la 710 moved a little bit here we're just following up on the nlcs so you know thank you for sticking in with that Obviously, it's that time of year. we got the Lakers just getting going here on ESPN LA 710. So the soccer faithful, be uh, be cautious and be weird. Follow me on Twitter, basically, to find out what's going on. That's what you need to do. It's at Talk Soccer. That's all you got to know. Follow me there. I'll, I'll let you know when this show is going to be on, what we're doing each and every week here as uh, things get moving here throughout the fall and into the winter. It is the winter. Winter is coming. It's not just coming. Winter is here for the U.S. national team. On the men's side. I mean, I am not in any good mood to sit here and, and fake like, hey, everybody, it's Soccer Weekly, and I'm so jazzed. No. You think I was in bad shape last week, and I was. I'm still a mess because last I checked, it's October 18th, and the U.S. is still not going to the World Cup next year, middle of next year. And that is killing me. I was working earlier on the Champions League coverage over at Fox, and I had to do a promo for the the draw, the World Cup draw coming up. And it was just like a knife to the gut. I was just like, oh, coming up, the World Cup draw, December 1st, 239 days till the World Cup. It was like, I was miserable. And it still isn't any better. And I got to be honest with you. I'll whisper this to you. If you're feeling better about it, you're probably an L Tree fan or you don't really like soccer. You just like good radio, and that's why you listen to this show. Because if you're really a U.S. fan and a fan of the U.S. national team, we're not through the five stages of grief yet by any means. What is it, like anger, denial, other two stages that we fake, and then acceptance? I'm not anywhere near acceptance. I'm still in the anger stage. I'm not even moved past stage one of the five stages of grief. I'm not even I'm not in bargaining, I'm not in denial. No, I'm in anger at what the US men's national team has become. Well, of course, Bruce Arena did resign or I don't know, whatever. If he didn't resign, he should have. But that's the story. Somehow Sunil Galati is still the president of the US Soccer Federation. And don't tell me he's not going to run. If he didn't resign yet, he's running for what would be his final term. But there are some rumblings of other people going after a couple of businessmen that maybe are not as well-known in the soccer world. Also some rumblings and some rumors about Eric Winalda, a cohort over at Fox, and Landon Donovan potentially. So some names are, are coming to the forefront here. A lot of work to still be done. Make no mistake. This is not some quick fix. It could be a quick fix in terms of getting back to the World Cup. We'll get back to the World Cup, in my estimation, in 2022. I believe that. We'll fix that. 
But this is systemic. Remember what I what did I call it last week? Systemic rot from the head on down of U.S. men's soccer because the women are doing fine. Now, that's not to say that the rest of the world is not catching up to our ladies. They are. But that's good. That's more competition. The U.S. women were so far ahead of most countries for so long that it was almost unfair. Now it's more competitive. That's fine. But the U.S. women are fine. It's the men's side we have to worry about. But, look, we'll continue to talk about that for weeks and months and whatever. Who takes over permanently for the U.S. men's national team? Had a story out of the uh, British press. Sam Allardyce basically said he's interested, according to some uh, members of the British press. Uh, Thanks, but no thanks. We don't need that style. By the way, if I'm thinking about the powerhouses in world football right now, England doesn't really come to mind. That's not to say they don't have some fine managers. I'm not going to rip on Allardyce for that. But I'm not sold on English football, quote-unquote. Again, that doesn't discount any and all British managers by any means, or English managers. No. But I'm not racing out to go look for somebody who managed in the premiership and, oh, managed the English national team. So what? English national team. And, yes, you know what else has been the big story? The under-17 World Cup, the United States cruising into the quarterfinals they crushed a very good paraguay team 5-0 and everybody was like well this salves the wound a little no it doesn't stop stop with that i love the us under 17 team i've been covering the tournament they've looked very it doesn't make one iota of a difference for me oh well you know the us under 17 team is giving us something to hope for no they're not we're not going to the world cup if we win the under-17 World Cup, I will sh- little clap, little golf clap, a polite clap, say, yay, go U.S. We won the under-17 World Cup, and I'll go right back to being miserable about missing the real World Cup. Come on. Don't give me that. Don't try to hide behind the under-17s. Let those kids play, and fine, they're doing great. But don't put any more pressure on them. They're not trying to carry U.S. soccer. That's ridiculous. Just enjoy it for what it is. And those under-17 and under-20 World Cups are great. You see some fantastic goals for the U.S. Tim Weah, a couple of beauties in that game against Paraguay. You should be watching these matches because he's the other next generation. Josh Sargent, Andrew Carlton from Atlanta United look really good. Really good setup, man. And by the way, can score as well. So it's fun to watch them, but let's not put too much pressure on them. Like, oh, they're they're saving uh, what could have been a dismal time. No, it's still dismal because once June rolls around, we're still not going to be there. The only thing that's going to help me is that I love soccer so much, I'm still going to be into the World Cup, right? And I'm sure you are as well. Come on. So so many people who are non-soccer fans in America threw their arms up. I was on so many shows that, you know, the next day, all over the radio, whatever. Oh, Dave, what does this do for U.S. soccer? Are we done? Is it over? Is it... Stop. It's not going to. The World Cup is huge. If you're on the 405 listening to me right now, whether you hate soccer or not, you just love this show, you're going to watch the World Cup. Of course you are. That's ridiculous. Oh, boy. Boy, the viewership is going to absolutely plummet for the no, well, yeah of course it's going to hurt that the u.s isn't in there make no mistake but it doesn't kill it come on that's absurd you know what's killing me is a story coming out of mls and i want to touch on it we'll uh definitely dig deeper into it but 
this is a story that's been breaking the last few days, and it's been out there. And I don't know if it was SI.com that broke this. Grant Wall does some great work. I'm reading from his story, too. I know Jeff Carlisle, who we're having on in just a moment here from ESPNFC, he wrote about it. But it's that Columbus crew and their owner, Anthony Precourt, is looking to move his team to Austin, Texas. Relocation is finally possibly hitting. Remember, way back in the day in MLS, they just basically folded up shop with Miami and Tampa Bay, two of the originals. Actually, it was Miami even original? Were they part of it? I don't even remember now. It's been so long. Did they? I think they might have come in with with Chicago in like 98 or something. But then they both folded. Tampa Bay was an original. I remember going to a game in Tampa Bay with my buddy Newey Scruggs when we were uh, covering the Dodgers in spring training when we had to land near that in Orlando and then drive to Vero Beach when they were back in Vero. We actually quickly went over to Tampa Bay to watch the mutiny play so I could see the great Carlos Valderrama. I was actually on the phone on my flip cell phone while Nui was driving our uh, rental car as we went the opposite direction of Vero Beach to go without any uh, press credentials, but I just made up my mind, like, let's go. There's a game in Tampa Bay. Let's go. And Nui Scruggs, a good, you know, good guy, good buddy of mine. He wasn't a big fan of soccer, but I was calling people in the press box trying to get uh, credentials. They got us in at the last minute. We were, a little, I, I think we were probably maybe five minutes late just because traffic around the stadium. It was fun. So at least I got to go see a Tampa Bay Mutiny match. Don't remember a thing about that game. It was so, it was so crazy. And uh, yeah, I'm sure I love just watching Carlos Valderrama. That's all that really mattered. But I have kind of some emotional ties to Columbus Crew, as you might imagine. Ohio boy. I grew up in Cleveland, born and raised. And outside of Cleveland in the Mansfield area, which is a little closer to Columbus for a time. And I went to Columbus Crew games. And now their owner is saying if he can't get a stadium in downtown, which is not going to happen, yeah, I mean, I'll give it a, a 10% shot that maybe it'll happen. He's going to Austin. And that just really tugs at my heartstrings, and I'll tell you why. I went to Columbus Crew Games at Ohio Stadium before I moved to L.A. This is before I even relocated to Los Angeles, what, two decades ago. And I watched Brian McBride play there. And I watched a game where Columbus Crew, remember the, the clock would count down, remember? Like back in the <laughs> awful days of MLS. And once it hit zero, it was over. You know, like they would stop the clock. Like the referee would actually blow the whistle. This, yes, for anybody who's under 20, these, these things actually did happen in MLS. Well, Columbus Crew scored a winner late in the match I went to once. I went to a few. but And people rushed the field at Ohio Stadium where the Buckeyes play. And they rushed the field. And immediately you heard the – this is a pretty good crowd there. I'd say there's probably 20-some thousand, but this is a big stadium. So it looked, you know, the old Rose Bowl days, right, when the Galaxy would get 30 grand and we, you, know, you, could, you could hear a pin drop because it was in the Rose Bowl that held 100,000 at the time. So they were at a good crowd, 20-some thousand. Well, people started rushing the field because they won late and the crew held on, big victory. And all of a sudden you hear the PA announcer say, Ladies and gentlemen, will you please get off the playing surface or something like that. And immediately they just ran back to the – I mean, it was like – the nicest fans in the history of the world in Columbus, they, they ran out of the pitch to celebrate, and they, all it took was this, the stadium announcer going, would you please get off the field? And then, boom, they all just ran back to their seats and let the Columbus crew and the opponent, I believe it may have been the New England Revolution, in fact, because I think I remember Alexi Lawless and that red hair back in the day actually losing that game. And I'm sure it was Lawless's fault because he was horrible. But, uh, no, I loved him. At the, I'm kidding, Alexi. I loved him at the Galaxy. He was great. But with the Revolution, I couldn't care less about him. And it was just funny how the, the crowd – but the Columbus crew, I mean, they're old school, right? That's an original. And this is a dangerous, dangerous thing that's happening now in MLS if Anthony Precourt gets this done. Because now it's just a matter of 
it doesn't feel right on some level that the crew who have been supported very well, and you can say, okay, that Matt Free Stadium isn't the greatest, like it's not the, the most up-to-date. No, but it was an original, and there's something about that history in MLS where we thought we were past this, and that's what scares me a little bit. Now, his tactic of, oh, I want to downtowns, I don't buy that. I, he wants to go. That's my opinion, but I, he, he wants to go. He wants to go to Austin. And there, there's some dangerous things about that. We will talk more about that with Jeff Carlo coming up. He's joining us from EFSP, ESPN FC. But I definitely want to break that down a little further. I got more to talk about with that, with Columbus crew leaving. Still more to get to on the Champions League, plus the, uh, the UEFA World Cup playoffs. That, that draw has been set. Some interesting matches there. But coming up next, it's Jeff Carlisle joining me from ESPN FC. This is Soccer Weekly, brought to you by Puente Hills Toyota. Puente Hills Toyota. Get your new 2017 Toyota Camry Ellie at PuenteHillsToyota.com. Check them out today, PuenteHillsToyota.com. This is Soccer Weekly on ESPN LA 710. This is Soccer Weekly, ESPN LA 710. I am Deb home, and you are listening to the home of world football here in Southern California. It is ESPN LA 710, ESPNLosAngeles.com. And joining me now on the show, you uh, love his work at ESPN FC. He is Jeff Carlisle. Jeff, thanks for taking the time to join us here on Soccer Weekly. Appreciate it. Yeah, no problem, Dave. How are you? Good. Uh, Jeff, let's get right to it. What's the latest? The U.S. men's national team, at least uh, Bruce Arena had the dignity to resign and leave. Uh, Neil Golotti hanging on with the... Uh, his last-ditch effort here, it appears, but it looks like there's some uh, developments or at least some rumors flying around about Gulati having competition if indeed he does run for the U.S. presidency for the final time. What's the latest on a lot of that? Well, the latest is that um, <laughs> the uh, contestants are lining up. Um, <laughs> Steve Gans, who's a, a Boston-based attorney, has declared his candidacy, and he's also got the, the required three people set to nominate him for the, the post of uh, USSF president. Um, Paul LaPointe is another guy who has thrown his hat into the ring. Um, I'm not sure at this point, you know, if he's gotten the nomination set up. Um, and then, uh, there have been some rumors about a couple former players, Eric Winalda and Landon Donovan. Um, I can confirm, uh, an earlier point from report from SI that, uh, Donovan is considering a run for, uh, the, the presidency. Um, and we'll see, you know, how those two guys, it out. I mean, I, I do think it is interesting that historically this post has gone to, you know, traditional administrators, not necessarily guys with uh, a playing background. And certainly I think that will appeal to an awful lot of people if uh, guys like Winalda and Landon Donovan run. I, I expect one of them to do that. I mean, we'll see which guy ends up actually throwing, uh, like I said, throwing his hat into the ring and and uh, taking on Sunil Gulati. Yeah, Jeff, uh, let's let's look at it this way. No matter who wins, you've been very vocal about the U.S. men's national team like we have here on Soccer Weekly. What has to happen for the U.S. men's national team going forward to get past this debacle, regardless of who the U.S. soccer president is? Wow. <laughs> How much time do you have? <laughs> um, I mean, I think they need to – I think they need to settle on a, on a coach who's going to – be much more of a long-term hire um you know obviously Bruce Arena came in uh you know he was thought to be the, the safe pair of hands the guy that would get him qualified but I, I think now's the time you know to to bring in a guy who's really going to try to establish an identity and a vision um you know I, I think of guys like Peter Vermes in Kansas City I mean you always know how hard those teams are to play against if you're watching them in MLS I think Tata Martino has done great things in Atlanta um obviously 
not even sure if a guy like Martino would be interested. I mean, he might be perfectly content to, to try to build Atlanta into a powerhouse. Um, I do expect a guy like Tab Ramos to, to get some, some run as well, to get an interview. Um, I, I think one, I don't know if you call it a weakness, but one, but one thing that I think that's lacking in his candidacy, he's never coached, you know, professionals. He's been, you know, as the head coach, I mean, he, he's been an assistant to Jurgen Klinsmann at times, you know, helps him, uh, you know, help augment Klinsman's staff, but um, you know he, he doesn't have that club experience or you know even the full-time national uh, team experience that you see with other guys. So, uh, and then you, you run down some other uh, MLS coaches. I, I think Jesse Marsh will will show some interest as well. I mean, he's a guy who's kind of flying under the radar a little bit. And then I, I think it's it's a question of building a team you know, for the future. I mean, there's this huge gap, you know, between the ages of say 23 and 27, you know, of guys that just have not come through. I mean, you know, some of it's just bad luck due to injuries. You know, I think of a guy like Sebastian Legette, who's with the LA galaxy. I I think he really would have helped his team this round. Um, You know, you think of other guys, you know, like Terrence Boyd, who was, was one of the the last guys cut from the the 2014 team. You know, he's had problems with injuries and then other guys, you know, you think of like a Juan Agadello, uh, a Breck Shea, you know, those guys have just not really built on, on their careers, you know, built on their early prompt. So um, I, th- I think it is time to, to go with a younger generation. Um, you will, I, I don't think you need to necessarily throw it to say 28, because uh, I think there is some mentoring that is going to need to take place, you know, so that's why I'm not willing to write off a guy like Bradley or a Jeff Cameron. I mean, someone is going to need to try to show these guys the ropes of how, how things happen at international level, but um, there are some exciting prospects coming through. You know, you look at the, the kid from Shelka, Weston McKinney, you know, he, he went through the FC Dallas system before moving over to the Bundesliga. You know, I think he's a guy for the future. Um, obviously you've got some guys who have some good experience like a Deandre Yedlin and, and Paul Ariola has gotten some looks as well. So, and, and then I think of also Kellen Acosta who's making some noises about going to Europe. So, I think that the future of the team is going to have to be built around those guys. And it, it's, it's really very quickly. It's going to be time to say goodbye to, to some of these guys that have been with the team for a long time. We're talking with Jeff Carlisle of ESPN FC here on soccer weekly. I'm Dave Dunholm and you are listening to ESPN LA 710. Jeff, I turned my attention to MLS, a big story out of MLS. which so should be the playoffs and the final weekend coming up and the bandy banding about for position in the Eastern and Western conferences. One team that is in the playoffs that doesn't even know where it's going to be. Well, they may, maybe they do know in a couple of seasons is Columbus Crew and this story coming out with their owner Anthony Precourt and the uh, kind of the flirting with Austin here if he doesn't indeed get his way with the stadium. What's the latest on that situation? Because this one, though not completely shocking by any means, still rocked me when I heard this news. Yeah, I mean Columbus is a is one of the flagship franchises of Major League Soccer. Um, you know, it was you know I can remember when that city was. Bit docking at first, but you know they they pulled in so many season tickets, it, it was impossible to ignore. So, you know, I think that the latest developments are right now that, at least publicly, Anthony is kind of pitting Austin, Texas against Columbus. You know, first one to get him a stadium wins. And I mean, on the one hand, it, it's his team, it's his business, but it's it's disgusting. It's it's contemptible. I think you know, in a day where you know municipalities are, are straining to, for financial resources to basically, you know, pit these two cities against each other. Um, obviously nothing's going to change until, you know, these cities decide <laughs> that's not the way to go about things, but it does really seem to me like Anthony Precourt has got 
you know, one, if not both feet already out the door pointing towards Texas because, you know. He, well, he Jeff, how can he stay? Even if they get him a new stadium somehow and he holds Columbus hostage, as a, how can he stay? How can the fans go back and say, hey, we built you a new stadium. We love you again. That's not going to happen. Yeah, I mean, it's, it, it reminds me very much of what happened to San Jose, um, yeah. you know, back in the, the mid-2000s because, you know, that there were rumors years uh, in, in the first part of, you know, the, the, the century where the team was rumored to be moving or being sold or both. And it, it really poisoned the well to a degree, not only in the fan base, but you know, it, it was tougher to get sponsorships because, you know, no one wants to be associated with the brand that's, that's going to be skipping town any day now. So, you know, I think this, this, this out clause in, in the contract when he bought the crew from one sports group back in 2013, I mean, I think that says everything. I mean, I, I think he, he really has been batting his eyelashes at, at Austin. Um, and it, it's, it's tough for me to see, you know, how, you know, things can be mended in Columbus. I will say, you know, some of the pol- politicians that have gone on record in Austin, they're not going to use any public money. And there's no stadium plan in place. So it, it's you wonder if Precourt hasn't kind of backed himself into a corner in terms of just upsetting everyone because, you know, obviously there's a long way to go in Austin. And um, the, the people in, in Columbus are quite understandably up in arms. So yeah. uh, that, it's, it's a lateral it's a move. The Austin is the same size market, essentially, too. It doesn't make it much sense for MLS even to want to court this. Well, we, we... I, I think the calculus that, that – Precourt is engaged in is not so much where Austin is today, but where he thinks it's going to be 10 years from now. Fair. Yeah. That this is going to be a, a bigger market, a better market. You know, he, he keeps pointing out that there's no major league team there, except some people will consider the university of Texas to be a major league team in some respects. So, um, you know, and Columbus has got the same challenge as well with Ohio state. So, you know, in talking to Precourt, he insists that his research shows that there, there's, you know, a big enough market, a big enough appetite for, for, for professional soccer in Texas. You know, some USL teams have failed there, but pre-court, you know, his response to that is we're talking MLS, this will be different. Um, yeah, but like I said, it, it sounds very much like, you know, he's, he's already moving in that direction. And it's, it's going to be, I think Columbus is, is facing very much an uphill fight uh, if, they, if they even want to keep the team at this point. We're talking with Jeff Carlisle of ESPN FC. Go check his work out there. Jeff, final question. Uh, other than the Galaxy, who are a complete and utter shambles and in disarray this season, it's been a complete joke of my LA Galaxy and a disaster. We're the worst team in MLS. And I say we, it's my team. Uh, other than them, <laughs> FC Dallas, the most, I guess, the biggest disappointment for you in this season? I mean, they, they have just been a mess. And this is a team I thought literally could win MLS Cup. I, I remember being in LA on opening day this season, seeing Dallas play LA. Dallas won that game. Didn't play great, but I thought, you know, that's kind of the grind them out performance that, you know, championship teams produce. Yeah. And they got off to a great start. Um, you know, everything, you know, looked to be in great shape. And then the summer months hit, and it, it was interesting. You know, you saw guys like Matt Hedges go away for the Gold Cup. You saw Costa go away with the national team, and they were never quite the same after that. Mm-hmm. Um, you combine that with some offseason acquisitions – like Christian Coleman, um, you know, Hernan Grana has, has been great going forward, but, you know, very, very susceptible defensively at right back. And, you know, a, a lot of these offseason moves did not pan out. And then I don't think Mauro Diaz has, has been the same guy since he tore his Achilles about this time last season. So 
Um, but still, it, it's been shocking to see Dallas just fall so completely apart defensively. I mean, they have been just leaking goals uh, all over the place. Lost four nothing last weekend to Seattle. Um, yeah, it's been, it's been shocking. Um, I, I think in LA's case, everyone thought, hey, they're making a lot of changes. We'll see how this works out. You know, this this could go either way. But I mean, Dallas is the defending Supporters Shield winners. Um, you know, they're arguably an injury away from from getting to the MLS Cup final when you think about it. So, yeah, for me, their their demise has been a huge shock and uh, certainly a, a big disappointment to the fans in Dallas. Sure has. One more win than Colorado and D.C. for FC Dallas. That's just unacceptable, no doubt. This guy is always acceptable. He is always welcome here, and we love his work at ESPN FC. He's Jeff Carlisle. Jeff, thanks so much for taking the time here on Soccer Weekly. I really appreciate it, man. Hey, anytime, Dave. You bet. Jeff Carlisle, ESPN FC. Check out his work there. Hey, still to come on Soccer Weekly, we're talking Champions League and the UEFA World Cup playoffs. So much going on in Champions League, though. There's one team that I think everybody has to be most afraid of. I'll tell you who that is next. Soccer Weekly, Dave Dunholm and you, ESPN LA 710. Soccer Weekly, ESPN LA 710. Dave Dunholm hanging out with you on a Wednesday evening, as we always do. Now, Again, we just uh, followed up on this show from the uh, NLCS with the Dodgers and Cubs. And uh, again, follow me on Twitter at Talk Soccer. That's your easiest way to follow the show and where and when it's going to be. And we appreciate your support here. Brought to you by Puente Hills Toyota, PuenteHillsToyota.com. And check them out. We appreciate their support. They've been with us all throughout season two here, and we appreciate that truly. Well, UEFA Champions League continued. Want to get to that. Also, uh, thanks so much for Jeff uh, Carlisle from ESPN FC joining me. Appreciate that. But we do have to talk Champions League and the UEFA World Cup playoffs. I know the World Cup is just still such a tough <laughs> tough subject for me because the U.S. and they're gagging their way out of the CONCACAF qualifying. But the UEFA playoffs are amazing. We will get to that in just a moment. But the Champions League, some teams are really starting to show me what they're made of. And genuinely, you have got to be scared if you're anyone who's not PSG or Barcelona. They look so good right now. And Real Madrid has been, you know, kind of up and down a bit with the uh, the game against Tottenham. But Tottenham's a fine team. I don't think Real Madrid's in any danger of not being a real threat for this. But, man, PSG playing earlier today in Brussels against Anderlecht. I know it's Anderlecht, and Anderlecht has issues at times defensively, especially at this level, but, oh, man. I mean, and look at the names. What does PSG, what does PSG do go out and do very well? They spread the football around. I know Neymar is the name. You spend over 200 million euros on him. Yes, he's the draw. I get it. Killing Mbappe, third minute. Edinson Cavani, who I think has scored, what, in like eight straight Champions League games now? That's almost a record. I believe it may even be tied a record. I, I don't know for that for sure. 44th-minute Cavani, 66th-minute Neymar, Angel Di Maria in the 88th. They crush Anderlecht 4-0. And that is no shame for Anderlecht because PSG is crushing everyone. 12 group goals so far in their three matches and haven't conceded one. I mean, it's just incredible. Incredible what they're doing. Now, Barcelona's been perfect so far through three match days. So has Man United, although that was a little bit shaky against Benfica. Certainly not the greatest performance for Man United. But in Group A, they should be fine. But PSG, come on. I mean, they are just dismembering teams at this level. That is crazy. I enjoyed watching the game I covered, which was Roma and Chelsea. Whoa, back and forth, 3-3 game. But it does tell me a lot about Chelsea doesn't have the defensive chops. 
to hang with the, the upper echelon. And Roma's a nice little team, got some very good players. They're not at that level either. But it also has shown us what Club Atletico Madrid is, and they're not quite good enough either. So I think teams are starting to separate themselves from what I've seen. Man City certainly belongs in that category. Absolutely crushing teams. Remember, they were my pick for the Premiership. Of course, I picked them last year too. So if I'm going to be cocky and say, oh, they were my pick this year, you got to remember I screwed up last year. And there, But, you know, there are some teams that I – Again, those big names. I want to focus on a couple of teams that you got to keep your eyes on that could pull off some surprises deeper in the tournament. I'm not just talking about the group stage. Keep your eye on Besiktas. Now, normally, I have been so disappointed with what the Turkish clubs have been doing lately in Champions League, really underperforming over the years, last few years. But Besiktas, boy... This team is really feeling good about themselves, and it's showing. Off to a perfect start through three matches. And, you know, look, it's not a a group with, like, a star-studded Barcelona team, but it's Monaco, Porto, and and, uh, Leipzig. I mean, it's not a screw-around kind of group. But I love what Besiktas is doing, and they've got talent. They've brought in some good players over the last few seasons, not the least of which Negredo, Avar Negredo, Chenkoshan. He's a very good player. You love guys like Chaner Erkin, Dushko Tosic. I love Quaresma. I love Quaresma. I know the Portuguese international gets some some grief for being a little bit, uh, how, we, how, how can I say this, Des Bryant-y at times, a little bit flighty. Maybe a little bit too much about him at times, it seems. But, man, that guy has as much soccer talent. Hear me out. He has as much individual soccer talent as anyone in the world, including Messi and Ronaldo. On any given little flash of brilliance, Quaresma is right up there, and you know that. And Besiktas is believing now. Coming out of an interesting group here. Now, they haven't qualified yet. They got work to do, but... Certainly look well and truly on their way with the full nine points. And Leipzig in second spot, which is the two that go through. They're currently on four points. Porto has three. And Monaco really struggling on one point. That's a bit of a surprise. I know they lost a lot of talent in the offseason. I thought Monaco and uh, Leonardo Jardim would be uh, a little better than this. But that is a tough group. Keep your eyes on Bashiktash. I like what they're doing. Another team, Spartak Moscow. They're in a group with Liverpool. And they still have work to do to even get out of this group because Sevilla is not going to be an easy out either. Now, Moscow and Liverpool both on five points with a win and two draws. Sevilla's a point back at four points. Marabor is kind of in it for the ride. They're not going to be a threat. But Moscow, Spartak Moscow, to me, looks very good. They can defend. They're not afraid to get forward. They're not afraid of anyone. And they've got talent. And if people just blow off these other teams, right? That's the Russian league. No, Moscow belongs here. Those are my two teams that, um, again, not saying they're favorites to win. They're not Barcelona. They're not Real Madrid. They're not PSG. No, but they are teams to keep an eye on to have some fun watching because they are very good and underrated when it comes to the World Cup. How often do we see it where, oh, Spartak Moscow is playing a team from, uh, oh, they're playing Liverpool? Well, of course they're going to lose. Liverpool plays in the Premiership. I don't know anything about the Russian League, so of course they must be far worse. No. That's not the case. Spartak has a very good team. 
And again, they're not afraid to go toe-to-toe. This is not Russia versus England. This is Spartak Moscow versus the likes of Liverpool and that group in Sevilla. Makes a difference. Don't just blow these teams off. Those are two that I want I want you to watch. Keep an eye on those. And how about the UEFA playoffs for the World Cup, right? Getting closer and closer now that a few teams, there's still obviously, what, nine teams have already qualified from Europe, just winning their groups. Now the eight best second-place teams, one of them was dumped from the England group, actually. That team did not move on to the second-place playoff round. But eight teams have now been matched up for the playoffs. And there are some intriguing matchups, as you might expect. They, they seeded the top four, drew the other teams, and now we're ready for playoffs that are coming up in November. And the matchups, to me, are very, very good. I think they're pretty balanced, too, the way they did it. I really do. And I'm not saying that there, you know maybe somebody has a beef like Sweden, you've got to play Italy. Of course, somebody was going to have to play Italy. But if you look at it, Croatia and Greece. Now, again, don't just look at this like, oh, the, the higher seed surely going to win. That is an intriguing matchup. Croatia is going to have their hands full. Greece does not like to give up goals. They're not afraid to play for a nil-nil, especially on the road. It's going to be tough for Croatia. Northern Ireland taking on Switzerland. Switzerland, just one loss. The last match day, they were 9-0 and in qualifying. They lost their last match day and didn't win their group because Portugal was the team that beat them and got through. So Switzerland, always going to be dangerous in a, in a you know, two-leg tie, home and away. But Northern Ireland is a plucky group, man. They don't have a ton of top-flight talent, really. But, man, they, they are good, like, as a team. They play well together. And I know a lot of those players, you know, in Northern Ireland, certainly they're experienced, and I'm not taking anything away from them, but they are a group that is going to play as a team. Republic of Ireland as Denmark. That is, to me, the most balanced and intriguing. I cannot tell you what's going to happen in that matchup. Really, anything wouldn't surprise me. Christian Eriksen has been phenomenal for Denmark. The Danes are a very disciplined side. Ireland has a lot of spirit under Martin O'Neill. And certainly guys who are, are not afraid to get dirty. They don't have a lot of top-flight talent either, like world-class talent, by any means. In fact, they don't really have any, <laughs> the Republic of Ireland. But they have a good team. Take nothing away from them. They've had a good run in, in qualifying. They're going to be a tough out. If you're looking for a difference, it may be that moment of brilliance from a guy like Christian Eriksen. I don't know, though, because Ireland knows that's coming. That one is, to me, an absolute coin flip. Would it surprise me if Denmark did very well at home and somehow hung? No. Would it surprise me if Ireland? No. Not at all. The one surprise that will have to happen is Sweden beating Italy. That would be a surprise. And, again, Sweden is not bad. Coming off losing Zlatan, remember, he, he's out. He's retired from international football. They were going in a different direction with Zlatan, you know, with Zlatan leaving, the all-time great Swedish player. And yet they really played well in qualifying to get that second spot. However, Italy may just be too much. With one caveat, and I'll say it this way, I'm not sure Italy scores enough at a high level. I don't believe Italy is going to do much of anything if they make the World Cup, which shouldn't be a huge surprise because Italy has fallen on their faces before at the World Cup. Now, former champions, I get it. They're Italy. They got that name recognition that I always talk about where everybody just loses their mind because, oh, it's Italy, it's Italy. But Sweden has their hands full in this particular matchup in a two-leg tie. 
I believe the Italians get through. Croatia and Greece, like I said, that is a, a tough matchup too. Croatia, more talented, more willing to score. Greece will have to win that one over two legs, something like 1-0 total. You know, it's going to have to be really tough defensively for the Greeks to go through there. And then the Northern Ireland and Switzerland, I'm banking on Switzerland doing enough. But Switzerland's not afraid to play tight games either and keep it close, which couldn't come back to bite them against Northern Ireland there. I do suspect the Swiss will get through and move on to the World Cup. But so much really to play for here. It's just uh, I'm looking forward to it. And you have to love a two-leg tie for all the marbles, essentially. Yeah, they didn't, they didn't win their groups. Okay, they're taking a tougher road. But they have this opportunity now. And those games are massive. I told you it with the U.S. You don't qualify. You don't go. And these are their last-ditch hope. So, I mean, these are going to be big matches coming up. The first leg is uh, begins November 9th. It's over three days. And then the second leg immediately the next three days. So the European qualifiers still in full force there. Hey, tweet at me. Let me know who you think the leaders of these matchups. Who are your favorites for these matchups? And, you know, even if there's an upset in there, I wouldn't mind hearing that as well. At Talk Soccer. We got stoppage time still to come. So much more to get to. It's Soccer Weekly. I'm Dave Denholm, and you are listening to the home of world football here in Southern California, ESPN LA 710. This is Soccer Weekly, ESPN LA 710. I am Dave Denholm, and you are listening to the home of world football here in Southern California. Follow me on Twitter, at Talk Soccer. Hey, uh, don't forget, go to iTunes if you need the uh, podcast. You can download them there. Is to search for Soccer Weekly under podcasts. Subscribe, rate, and review the podcast. Thanks so much to all of you who have done that. It's just blowing up, and I appreciate that so much, truly. Uh, we are a home now of world football here in Southern California and beyond because of the uh, reach of the podcast, and I thank you for that. We get right back to it. Uh, earlier in the show, Jeff Carlisle of ESPN FC, we discussed the uh, Columbus crew situation, talked a little bit more about it. I want to continue on with that. The crew with that uh, the original soccer-only stadium in the United States, or soccer-specific stadium, as it were. And it really, it tugs at my heartstrings. I told you the stories. I went to games. They were my first team in MLS. Now, I didn't develop quite enough of a, a connection with that team to, for it to be called my own. And then moving to, you know, L.A., what, 20 years ago, right when MLS was essentially just starting. I was a couple seasons deep, had gone to a few crew games, rooting for them, feeling good about them, but not really my team. Look, if... Cleveland ever got a team back then, the Forest City, you know, Forest City Athletic, as I hope they would have been called. Somebody wanted to do a mock-up jersey of that, I wouldn't hate it, at Talk Soccer on Twitter. Forest City Athletic, yeah, then I would have been in, but the Galaxy are my team. But I can still feel for the, the fans of Ohio. And here's the problems I have with this. Anytime you're talking about relocation, there's the danger of the backlash never really going away for MLS. This is not a league that can afford to alienate too much, right? And you're talking about maybe FC Cincinnati or somewhere, some team in Cincinnati comes into MLS. That's not the same as Columbus. You know, people here in Southern California, you might think Ohio is essentially the size of, you know, the Valley. That's not true. Ohio is a big state. Cleveland and Cincinnati are separated kind of similarly to, say, Los Angeles and maybe the Southern portion of like San Jose, the area, you know, it's that far, it's that much, it's that big. So don't go sitting there telling me, well, they may expand into Cincinnati. That's a, that's an Ohio. No, that cuts out a large swath of the Midwest there, the Great Lakes region. If you take away Columbus, I don't like it for that. I don't like it for Crew fans. Of course, they've been good fans from day one. This is a team that won an MLS Cup. 
This is not some bad team. They're in the playoffs this year. And who knows if anybody's going to go to their game when they host a playoff game. I mean, it's absurd. And, you know, to me, the lateral move, and I understand Jeff Carlisle mentioned it, Austin may be on a pathway of growth in Texas, kind of a booming town. It's kind of hipster doofus town, right? The Austin film, all that stuff, whatever, you know, whatever it's called. South by Southwest. Yes, I know. But, you know, look, I understand. There is some growth there. I get that. But it's essentially the same market right now. And for the near term, it's going to be the same size market. If you look up the stats, they're literally within a few thousand people in terms of uh, television size market, radio, same thing. The markets are equal in that sense. So you're not really gaining much that way. Now, again, Anthony Precourt will tell you that, as Carlisle alluded to, as Jeff alluded to, that, oh, well, there's bigger growth opportunities, all this, business. Well, you're certainly not helping yourself in Columbus with this. Essentially, when Anthony Precourt came out with this, well, give me a stadium downtown or I'm leaving, he was saying, I'm leaving. There is no holding the city hostage for money for a MLS stadium in downtown. We can't. This country can't afford that right now. Not really. But maybe, I'm just holding out hope for crew fans that maybe Anthony Precourt is just overplaying his hand with Austin. And maybe he really will not be able to get that done. Maybe they will stay. Maybe he'll really be forced to sell. Again, that might just be a pipe dream in my mind. I'm hoping, though, because it could leave a big gap, a gaping hole there in the center of the country without MLS around. And that's not good. Remember, MLS is not in Indianapolis. It's not in Pittsburgh. It's not in Cleveland. If it's not in Columbus, it's a big area. Massive area. And I know, oh, Cincinnati's coming. Cincinnati. Have I loved the, everything the Columbus crew has done over the years? No. Did I love their old logo where one of my high school buddies is actually the model for the one guy on the left? Remember the old logo with the hard, the hard hats? Yes, love that one because, yeah, I knew the dude who was the, uh, the model for the guy on the left back in the day, back when I was in Ohio. No, it wasn't me. It was him. It was a friend of mine, but still kind of cool. But there's history there. I went. I saw those games. I saw it kind of just grow organically in a, in a Buckeye town, in Ohio State's backyard. You do not know the situation when you're a, a team in Columbus compared to Ohio State. That might be the biggest college town in the world, but it is a college town. And the Columbus crew did very nicely, thank you. So now what's he going to do? Move to another college town with the University of Texas there? Uh, It just seems so lateral. Absolute lateral move. It just doesn't make a whole lot of sense. But I do hope it works out for Columbus there. And the the sad part of it is, I do not believe MLS will be racing to get back to Columbus if they move. That should likely be the end, and that's really sad. I hope that's not the case. Hopefully I'm even wrong about that. But more importantly, I hope it just doesn't happen from the get-go and the crew stay where they belong, which is in Columbus. We really hope for that. Hey, give me your thoughts at Talk Soccer on Twitter. I want to hear from you at Talk Soccer on Twitter throughout. We continue the conversation. But right now, it's my favorite time of the show, Mario Reese. It's stoppage time.
The great producer of Soccer Weekly, Mario Rees, joining me each and every week, as he does for Stoppage Time. Mario, how was your vacation? You missed last week with all the craziness. What are your thoughts here? You yeah, be- it was crazy. I was in a canyon in Arizona, probably getting my hike on somewhere. But, <laughs> yeah, a lot was going on while I was away. It was a great time. I went to go see the Dodgers uh, defeat uh, the Diamondbacks and sweep them over well, there in AZ. So it was cool. You had a good time, but the U.S. national team... Put, yeah. a, put a damper on that, no doubt. But. Believe me, I was feeling it out there. Oh, and, uh, yeah, did put a damper on my uh, vacation as well. Well, let's try to pick up your spirits with stoppage time here. What's going on? All right, Dave. So uh, if you paid in, any attention to the story of head trauma, CTE, and the NFL, then you probably know the name Dr. Bennett Amalu, who he was the uh, the first to diagnose CTE in football players back in 2002. Okay. Amalo is now coming after soccer and says he sees the same things going on in soccer. He says uh, we need to place the life of the player above the revenue streams. This boils down to money. It's all about the money. We should not place money above the value of life, even the life of one single player. Dave, are soccer fans ready to give up headers for the safety of the players? No, nor should they be. Frankly, I, look, I understand where this doctor's coming from. He's a medical doctor. I get it, all this. And he may well be right. But, look, we cannot go too far with this. Otherwise, what's next, right? We shouldn't be driving, really, because people get killed in cars every day. I mean, realistically, you should just walk, right? But then people die walking, or you should ride a bike. Well, people get hit with, uh, on their bikes. You know, I mean, you cannot over-legislate or over-protect everybody from everything, Mario. You make it as safe as you possibly can, and you give adults the choice of whether they want to play. Now, you want to take out headers for kids under 12 or maybe not even let kids head the ball. Some some organizations are doing that. I yeah, they do that for that some here in Cal South, you know, yeah. here in, in Southern California, and even beyond that. It's not just Cal. So, yeah, okay, you want, to, you want to make sure it's as safe as it can be? Amen. But let's not go overboard here. This is still professional sports. It's not all about money. They're trying to make the players safe. You know why? Because the players are the assets. If it's all about money, you want your players to be as safe as possible because they're the ones who are dragging in the fans. They're what matters when it comes to actually the entertainment of these sports. So don't give me that. Don't say, oh, they just don't care about That's not true. I don't buy that, Mario. You have to make it as safe as possible. These are grown men, though, making grown men decisions, grown men and women who play at that level. Let them make up their mind whether they want to take that risk. All right, Manchester United beat Benfica 1-0 earlier today in the Champions League group stage in one of the oddest ways possible. Benfica's 18-year-old goalkeeper, Mile Villar, the youngest starting goalkeeper in the competition's history, walked into his own goal with the ball, while attempting to stop a free kick. I mean, you got to feel bad for, yeah, the, it was for tough. the kid. Even the opponents did. Lukaku went up to him and uh, consoled the kid. I, I just felt sorry for the kid. Yeah, it was a tough one, Mara. 18 years and 52 days, I think, he, he, how old he is. So he's the youngest goalkeeper ever, as you mentioned. Mm-hmm. Uh, that's a tough spot to be in, playing Manchester United in the Champions League. And, you know, you're not even barely 18, not even 19 years old. And then to make that kind of play. I mean, look. Hopefully he'll grow from it. Lukaku did reach out. But as I always say, if you're old enough, if you're good enough, you're old enough, right? That's the old cliche. And clearly he's good enough, and Benfica is not going to put some kid in there who can't play right. to, to be, you know, to take on Manchester. I don't care how many injuries you have, whatever. You'd just go sign somebody else to go play if you had to or something. And not only that, forget that. He's a good young goalkeeper, a good young goalkeeping prospect. I don't think this is going to hurt him that bad. And again, he wasn't 12. You know, it's not like right. you put like, some 13-year-old kid in there who's just going to get hurt. No, he's taking it like a professional. Yeah, I mean, I mean, he went and talked to the media and everything. Exactly. So yeah. he'll be fine. Yeah. 
and it, maybe it's a good learning experience for him. I don't think anybody's too young if they're good enough. In other words, as long as they're physically safe, much like the first story we just talked about, as long as you're physically safe and doing the best possible job to protect somebody from physical harm, I'm not worried about the mental. He, he gets paid. He'll cash his check for playing in that game. Exactly. He'll have to put up with it. That was Stoppage Time. He's Mario Rees, the great producer. Thank you, Jorge. Appreciate your help on the show. I'm Dave Denholm, and you've been listening to Soccer Weekly, brought to you by uh, Puente Hills Toyota, PuenteHillsToyota.com. This is Soccer Weekly, ESPN LA 710.